I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. So welcome to The Discomfort Practice. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Steve Whiteley. He has the distinction of being my first comedian on this podcast, and hopefully not my last. Steve is a writer, director, producer, and performer based in London. His comedy sketches and parody music videos have earned his YouTube channel a nomination for Best Internet Program at the British Comedy Awards. And he's featured in numerous publications, including BuzzFeed, The Huffington Post, The Metro, and others. His 2017 Edinburgh Fringe show, Wisebaum, The Struggle is Real, I'll ask you later if I pronounce that right, received five-star reviews. And he subsequently created a BBC Radio 4 sitcom based on the show in 2019. Steve's award-winning debut short film, Swiped, won the 2019 Silver and People's Lovey Award. It was also nominated for the 2019 Edinburgh TV Festival New Voices Award for the Best Pilot. It's an official official selection at numerous Oscar and BAFTA qualifying festivals, which is a big deal. I have filmmaker friends and I know how hard it is to get that stuff at festivals. Steve has been selected for the BFI Network and BAFTA Crew 2021 and is currently developing a sitcom project, Woke Heroes, for Channel 4. He's been called one of the pioneers in the new wave of online comedy by the British Comedy Guide. And in this year of everything being online, that's a big deal. Steve also hosts the podcast Balancing Acts, in which he interviews guests in the entertainment industry about how they find a sense of balance, or not, between their careers and everyday life, what impact this has on their mental health, strategies they use to unlock their creativity, and lots more. And there's a lot that brings Steve to this podcast as a guest, um, talking about discomfort, because obviously the role of comedy in making us comfortable or uncomfortable or helping us to understand ourselves or society is a really interesting one. So welcome, Steve. Thank you. And thank you for that very lovely introduction. <laughs> it was a so, pleasure. It was easy. Nice I just swiped call. it off your website. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were talking earlier about how... Uh, how uncomfortable it is to have your biography read or to have to write your own biography. It's an interesting one to start with because it makes so many people uncomfortable. So welcome. Yeah, it's like, do you write about yourself in the third person, which usually you do, like I'm talking <laughs> kind of about myself in the third person now, but uh, you do that and then that feels weird because it's like slightly detached. And everybody knows essentially that you're writing your own biog in the third person. Like we're all in on it. You know, some people you know they have they have press so you don't have a press department to do it but for the most part when you're at a certain level you're writing your own your own biog um and uh yeah it's it's an excruciating experience (laughs) as someone who has written plenty of other people's biographies i always just turn to mush when it's time to write my own because as i told you earlier i just feel like such fraud you know just like uh who am i but here we are. Here we are in the discomfort practice. Yeah. So the first, the first question I usually ask people, which follows on nicely from writing your own biography in the third person, is uh, what's an uncomfortable moment that's changed your life, that shaped you through being uncomfortable? We're going to be talking about 
comedy and you know the sort of friction between uh, performing and, and people's reactions to comedy and what it delivers and and the discomfort involved in that for me one experience was was doing uh, a, a course in stand-up comedy I found it very discomforting experience because mm. prior to that I'd been performing improv and for those for those that don't know it's like improvisation where you're kind of making up things on the spot it's very collaborative and you're building on other people's ideas and you're working together to create scenes, whether it's short form or long form. And it's very free. There are rules within it, but it's also, you know, it's quite free. And doing stand up is a very different experience. And I mm. found it very excruciating at first, really, really challenging. And to, and I did that course, I did three gigs after that, and I didn't actually, I stopped for five years because those first three gigs were also very, we'll say, full of discomfort. Uh, it was wow. a very discomforting experience, uh, but then I went back to it five years yet, uh, later. So I would say that course does, mm. does stand out as, as, as an experience that was discomforting, but it, you know, it opened up, it opened up a whole world to me as well. And did you step away from doing stand-up because it was so uncomfortable or were there other reasons i just don't think i was I, I didn't have my voice i didn't really know what my voice is i mean the whole idea is is that you gig and gig and gig until you find your voice i don't think i was i was ready and i think when i've been performing over the last sort of four years or so it's been in character for the most part and that's the type of comedy in terms of live that's always come m more naturally to me and I, at that beginning at that earlier stage after that uh comedy course I was doing some gigs with myself and that's mm. what I found yeah quite uncomfortable and uh that is obviously some some sort of reflection on me that I'm not not comfortable just uh being myself <laughs> I have to hide behind other characters I have to talk to my therapist about that yeah I guess there is value in discomfort because sometimes it helps to create some of our favorite characters I suppose it gets people on stage who wouldn't otherwise be up there so then what brought you back to stand up and you found your voice or why did you come back I've been doing other comedy projects. So I've been making sketches on, on YouTube and a web series and that kind of thing. And I was going to Edinburgh Fringe as a punter. And I sort of went three years in a row. And each year I'd go and I'd see these people, some of them, you know, who were friends. And at the end, I'd be like, yeah, 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 I've, I've got, I'm going to do this. And I, I, inevitably I wouldn't. And then I think it was the third year of going in a row. And I was just like, got to do this it's like it's now or never and uh and so yeah i think maybe like a combination of time time ticking and just to know you, you know and you just there's something inside you is like i have to do this I need, I need to do this i need to scratch this this itch hmm. and but it was also something quite um strategic as well because at that point i was making comedy rap music videos and I was collaborating first with someone, a producer, and we'd make these these very uh, serious topical uh, raps, such as um, the struggle of going gluten free, and, uh, <laughs> and they they were great. But my comedy partner at the time, he 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 wasn't willing to sort of we had to put my, our own money into it, and you know he didn't want to sort of continue doing that. So I carried on doing it on my own. And each video would get more elaborate and the production value would go up until it got to a point. I was like, there's got to be an easy way to do this. So I decided to take all the, some of the lyrics that I'd made for the videos and uh, perform them 
uh, uh, spoken word night and it got loads of laughs so i was like okay well maybe i could do this on stage at a gig and then i did and and it continued to get laughs so i felt like i'd accidentally found that kind of voice that i was talking about your first gigs are for the most part uncomfortable even when i would kill so we have like you know the terminology is like kill or or die it's really weird but it's like you mm. die on stage you know you, you don't get any laughs you kill on stage <laughs> everybody's laughing and even if you even if you kill for me anyway there was still the uncomfortable moments leading up to that that moment when i was going to be on stage the anxiety that came with it and then you'd have these five glorious minutes where you were getting laughs so even yeah even if i was killing it for the first part anyway for, i'd say for the least of the first year i'd have that anxiety that would come with the build-up to actually getting on stage i really want to know this the answer to this question how does comedy work you know sort of walk us through the basic techniques of how comics interact with an audience and and i know this is very individual and different comics have different approaches but you know sort of how they shape their approach? Because I think this is a good question to eventually lead into how people, how some people use discomfort very well in their comedy. So yeah, how does how does comedy work? Well, being the spokesman for all comedians, I'm uh, very <laughs> quick. To, uh, yeah, every, obviously, as you say, everyone's got their own approaches. So um, I can only speak on behalf of what maybe I do or observe. But I think um, part of the magic is feeling like you're seeing something that is spontaneous or you know or fresh or new when in fact obviously that set has been crafted over a long period of time those jokes have been labored over you know because you go on stage you know when you're when you're trying to work out new material you're trying to work out you know what's the angle where's the jokes how can i set it up and a lot of the time you're filming that gig or you're recording it you listen back to it you hear where the last came from or more importantly where they didn't come from and you just you know you keep building that but you're really trying to get to a point where you just kind of you're delivering all this thing that you've you know this set that you've been practicing and building over a certain period of time but in a way where it feels very just fresh you know and because some people are surprised when they hear that comedians write their material they're like what you 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 wrote that you didn't make that up on the spot and if somebody <laughs> says that to you then obviously that's a massive compliment it's very difficult to speak on behalf of of, of, of other comedians because there's so many different types like we're saying i do character comedy some people do sort of more anecdotal comedy but without one to sound simplistic it doesn't really matter what you do as long as it's funny <laughs> and yeah, makes people yeah. laugh that's a good point about how it's crafted. It's very crafted. And a lot of, you know, the comedians who come to mind, at least my mind, are the ones who have just these sharp observations. And sometimes they're delivered with an ouch and sometimes they're very winsome. So it's all down to style. So I guess I'm interested in knowing how people might use discomfort in comedy, help people to face into or think about or laugh about serious things or uncomfortable things. There's a fine line between comedy where you're trying to say something and and preaching no one wants no one wants to be preached at you know or or sort of told what they should or shouldn't think so you can talk about and you can dissect ideas that are are serious as long as this is why i believe as well as long as at the end of the day 
they're going to get laughs. And mm. comedy is a great place to do that. I think, like, for me, a really good example of someone who does that very well is Dave Chappelle mm. in terms of how he how he discusses race in America. It's just brilliant because he, he has got to a point where he's earned the right to talk about these things and a kind of contradiction, well, contradicting what I said, but he can go for long periods where there isn't a laugh. But you know the laugh's going to come, but it builds up a certain degree of tension. If you're new on the scene, you can't do that. You mm. haven't built up your kudos, but also you're not going to have you're not going to of uh, you, you won't have the skill set that you need to, to be able to do that's like years and years and years of you know refining your craft mm. um someone mm. uh, in, in in the uk uh sarah pasco i've seen her edinburgh oh, yeah. shows and she's brilliant at doing that you know i saw yeah. a couple of edinburgh shows and you know she's she just has a way she's really very very smart person you can tell immediately and she has a really brilliant way of again dissecting these ideas but just getting that balance right between making you think and making you laugh i've been in those edinburgh fringe shows because i used to live in edinburgh where i almost witnessed a fist fight once between a comedian and somebody in the front row because the guy just really was aggressive and yeah. the guy in the front row was not having it yeah, like you said, it takes skill and kudos to be able to deliver that. So Frankie Boyle, holy moly. I saw him live once in Edinburgh and it was my face hurt from laughing. But wow, does he use discomfort left, right and center? <laughs> Not necessarily to deliver. Well, he does actually have some social commentary quite often. But oof, was probably the most uncomfortable I've ever been in any sort of performance ever. Yeah, and then it's interesting because then you you can go two ways with that discomfort. You can you can react um, with sort of like this this kind of feeling of of being of being offended. I'm offended by what this person has said, but that can sometimes be a knee jerk reaction. But maybe then if you question why am I offended? What's the reason I'm offended? Am I offended by what he said or how that reflects on the way that I think and and that's a threat to the way that I think. And I think that's, that's something to, to really think about because, you know, this past year, uh, there's, there's been this, you know, the cancel culture, particularly in comedy mm. and some, you know, there's, there's been some circumstances where it's completely valid, but there is definitely, this idea that I think a lot of comedians are very sort of tentative and worried about what they can and they can't say in case you know there's there's uproar etc but I think a lot of the time the onus is on the audience to sit with their own discomfort of of why it is that they're offended I'm not saying that comedians should be offensive for the sake of being offensive but they should be given a leeway to be able to discuss things that are uncomfortable because otherwise, you know, what's, what's the point? And you know, that is part of the reason and that's part of the effective of the, the effectiveness of, of a comedian or, or a comedy. But like I said, not, not all comedians, there are so many different styles, but you know, there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but comedians are kind of like the modern day politicians who are telling the truth. 
But yeah. sometimes, sometimes that truth is uncomfortable to hear. So I think, you know, it's important to question if you do feel discomfort by what a comedian is saying, why? Question why. Mm. This I'm sitting here pondering if this is part of a wider trend in society where we kind of are unable to have uncomfortable conversations. We're not really trained. We're not accustomed to sitting with discomfort, particularly in fairly privileged cultures. Um, I'm not going to pin it on privilege, but we, we have a pretty we have a pretty comfy existence. So, yeah, that that practice of sitting with discomfort and questioning why am I uncomfortable is an interesting one because it's comedy really digs for that. <laughs> it seems, you know, it's about yeah. it's not always feel good. Huh. There's a book called um, it's, it's uh, Black Swan. And it's about that. It's about this idea and need to, to, do you know it? Yeah. Yeah. About this idea to be more robust and, you know, to, to be less fragile. And and that's not to say to, that's not to take away anything from, from feeling or being sensitive or to feel emotions. Obviously that's important, but at the same time to sit with these emotions that you're feeling and not, have a knee-jerk reaction to, to things mm. like Twitter is a perfect example of knee-jerk reactions and everything being taken out of control. But you know, also part of that is because it's it's a stylistic choice, isn't it? It's a, it's a strategic choice. People know that if they communicate that way, that's that's how they're going to get heard. If you yeah. talk with just you know nuance and balance, no one wants to hear that. No, it's very measured and boring because I. I try to be measured and yeah, you just think, wow, the people who are saying things that are outrageous or just have a really strong point of view, they get a lot more fans coverage. It's yeah, it's a phenomenon that is unfortunately true, particularly considering what's going on in politics in a lot of places these days. Mm, the ridiculous is newsworthy. It's like a circus. It's more entertaining, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully that tide is turning, but it's definitely been, a year or at least a, a couple years of of populism and you mm. know that that's transcended into you know just general the general way of communicating i think you know that's it was at least it's infiltrated into the way or style that a lot of people now communicate yeah well i know that you are a practicing buddhist and i'm interested in hearing how that has had an impact on who you are and how you deal with discomfort, but even in who you are as a comic, because I imagine it infuses a lot of elements of your life or all of them. Yeah. In terms of uh, the idea of discomfort and, and trying to practice Buddhism, you know, with me as a person, there is a lot of discomfort that comes with that because it's, it's all very well and good meditating on your own or going off on a retreat where you've got perfect settings and circumstances to you know go deep and and uh have these sort of like enlightened moments you know, that's it i figured out i know i know <laughs> the answer to life that's it but then as soon as you walk out of that retreat you know you switch your phone back on whatsapp's buzzing etc you get into an argument with someone and you're straight back into the swing of things so it's like how do you how do you incorporate what it is that you're you're learning along the way into everyday life but also how do you communicate in a like empathetic and compassionate way and i do not have uh, the answers for that <laughs> uh, 
I did, I would be selling them as part of my um, digital guru course. But I think there is a discomfort that comes with trying to develop, you know, your, your empathy and compassion. But in a world where, you know, everything is so fast paced and not everyone has that same uh, mindset or, you know, everyone's, everyone's at a different place. Everyone's mm. on a different, everyone's on a different path for their journey, man. Yeah, man. You have, totally. you have to accept that. Well, and how has, um, how has this year gone for you? Because obviously live gigging is out in the age of COVID, but you're a bit of an online entertainment guy. So talk me through the discomfort of 2020. What has that done for you as a comic? And what has that been like for you personally, maybe? I'm not doing any stand-up, as you as you rightly said. And so I've just been focusing on on writing uh, with the aim of getting shows made to to direct on and maybe produce. So that's been a shift from pre-pandemic of gigging, you know, three nights a week or whatever, to now having evenings free and then just trying to sort of maintain a, a structure and routine during the day. Writing on your own is challenging. It, mm. there's, it's far more fun collaborating with people. I try to collaborate with people on projects. How does that work on Zoom? How does collaboration work for you now? Is it more difficult or do you reach to more people? Well, in some senses, I guess it's easier because, you know, it's always in, in the uh, life before COVID, uh, LBC, it was, you know, it's like, like, hey, let's meet up. Yeah, cool. Um, how about like five weeks time? Because, you know, I've just got X, Y, yeah. Z. Every, everyone's busy. Everyone's running around. And suddenly, like, time and life has slowed down now. So mm. there is the pros that you can now speak to somebody on Zoom and you can organize it and schedule it very easily. And that's, that's really great. Nothing beats, though, face-to-face. There is, you yeah. know, there's something that's, that's, uh, I'll give you an example. Like I met with a comedian today, who's a friend of mine, and we were talking about an idea to collaborate on and we just went for a walk and you know, it's just that energy there, just going back yeah. and forth and just, you know, it's like just physically being with somebody. Um, so yeah, those are kind of some of the challenges. And then personally, mm, yeah, it's been a funny one, isn't it? Well, I think it's the same with everyone you spoke to. Everyone's like, they try. You know, you've come out with some kind of perspective, and I guess yeah. part of my perspective is like, work and career isn't everything. You know, there's more to life. But then I say that I, I forget it. Like the de- the next day, I just get caught up in what I'm doing. How have you found um, this year has changed you personally and professionally? Oh, wow. Nobody's ever asked me questions on my own podcast. This is what I get for interviewing another podcaster. (laughs) Uh, I feel like I got the sabbatical that I'd wanted for years because all of my work stopped at the beginning of the Barcelona lockdown, Mm. including things that I didn't really want to continue but couldn't bring myself to quit because they paid me. Um, And as a traditionally very busy, driven person, I was challenged and I struggled and I fought being still and really being with myself. and. I learned to be very quiet, internally very still, and I figured out that I'm much more of an introvert than I ever thought I was. So yeah, lots of great things. And I started working with a lot of creative people and basically learned I need to live like a creative. So in a lot of ways, it's been a very freeing year. 
I mean, it was like having my skin stripped off, but it's been freeing ultimately because there were things that needed to be shed. So yeah, I think this might be one of the best years of my life. Controversial wow, statement. Feel great. free to hate on me, but yeah. No, it's no, not, not at all. What, what, does, what does looking like a, what, sorry, what does living like a creative look like to you? Basically just flipping the lens on my schedule and my inputs and how I treat myself because now I see it's all in service of the things that light me up because those are the things that I need to bring to the world, which is, I mean, my passion is always going to be social and environmental issues, but rather than having a plan and being a strategist, it's more about being a content producer and using my voice and really coming out of the spiritual closet as well, which is part of this, this podcast is it's my discomfort practice, bringing the two sides of myself together publicly for the first time, Mm. which has really, um, People are being drawn to that. I'm being invited to bring both sides to very surprising things like lecturing, like speaking to a women's leadership program in Dubai and talking about myself as a female leader, but also leading a mindfulness exercise that they can use at work. So, yeah, that's what this year has brought me. And I hope that I hear that from a lot of other people, too, because it's been an interesting year, but I don't I don't think it's been the worst year of a lot of our lives. If we step back and look at it that way. I was um, talking to a very wise man uh, the other day. His name is Mike Trabandu, and he's uh, an ordained Buddhist at the London Buddhist Centre. Mm. And he was saying that uh, the way that people react to this pandemic the past year is often a reflection of their mindset. So if you're a very anxious person, you're going to have a load of anxiety. And, you know, if you're somebody who's more chilled or relaxed, whatever it is, then you're going to have that reaction. Obviously, you know, that's Mm. if you have kids and you're you're locked, locked in with them during lockdown, that's a completely different story. And (laughs) I I can't can't, can't imagine what that's (laughs) what that's like. But it was an interesting comment. It was an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what has this year brought up for you? Just turning it back to that of Mm. it's been a mighty uncomfortable year. But what have you? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about your own ability to deal with discomfort or your comfort with it? I feel like a, I'm a bit of a contradiction. Like I really like I'm an independent person. I you know, go traveling on my own and I'm sociable, but also like you, I can I can be an extrovert, but I can also be an introvert. And I've always enjoyed my own company, but also there is some levels of discomfort with being on my own as well and that was interesting to learn because I thought I was absolutely fine with that so that that would be one thing and just enjoying the journey that's because it's always grasping for what's next what's next what's next and it's just being able to take a breath enjoy it whether it's comedy, which obviously you should be enjoying because it's fun, whether it's that or whether it's something else like what you're doing where you're passionate about it, if it's not fun, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes, you know, historically I can forget that and get caught up in in the race to succeed or get to the next level. And I think that's counterproductive to what it is that you're trying to do. And to be creative whether you're trying to be funny or whatever it is, you've got to be, you've got to be in the moment, you've got to be present. 
and the more the more, i think yeah the, the more the more joy you feel the more you're going to be in a place where ideas come to you and and you can mm. you can create this i think the myth of of the tortured artist is exactly that i think it's a myth there mm. are obviously loads of examples of people amazing creators who are that way inclined but i don't think you have to be like that to be successful as a creative or as a as an artist yeah there is sort of a celebration of darkness in a lot of art or entertainment like yeah you have to be tortured to come up with good stuff what's the difference for you between starting from a place of going through a hard time or you're being a bit uncomfortable versus creating things during a good time does is the process different do you produce different things how does it affect your creativity okay so four years ago i was living in a in a men's Buddhist community. And every morning I would wake up and you go down to the shrine and you meditate for every day for an hour. I think I must've been meditating like, you know, a couple of hours a day. And it was that time that I really started to go into stand up, and I wrote my first Edinburgh show. And it felt for the most part, my recollections of that experience, it felt light, felt quite light and ideas, they would just come to me. I didn't have to, work hard at the ideas i didn't have to force it out whereas other times where you know i might be in a different headspace it's more of a it's more of a push you know i can get there but it's a different it's a different way i have to work really hard i have to grind it out it's not as enjoyable mm, so the output might be the same but the process is very different or the the feeling that you get the reward you get or the lightness you get it's like um there's this book by you know elizabeth gilbert she's the author uh, yeah eat pray love so elizabeth gilbert wrote this book on creativity and so she's talking it's it's all it's quite spiritual what's it called wait what's it called i've totally forgotten uh big magic it's called big, big magic big, yeah because she also yeah. did a podcast around it and it was so wonderful oh uh, okay this idea that these ideas come to you you don't own those ideas you can have an idea and it might not be right for you it might be somebody else's idea but these ideas are some kind of spiritual there's a you know there's a spiritual process going on like when you think about it when you dissect what an idea is it's crazy where does this come from where did this come from in my imagination and now it's like this fully formed thing so you could take her approach and say you know, I'm grateful for whatever it is, has given me this idea. And if I make it, then it's you know, brilliant. If I don't make it, then it just wasn't meant for me. And that, I think, ties in with that sort of more joyful approach. And it's less about, it's less about ego. And when it becomes about ego, then it's more restrictive. And it's more, it's, it's my thing, my, and I have to make it. And if these, if these people, if they don't commission it, then ugh, they're wrong. And ugh, that's no good. <laughs> <laughs> and also then that's when you're kind of left sometimes having to grind it out, as you say, because I've quit the grinding things out. If it's not flowing, it's just so not for me. And it's been such a relief to be able to let go of that, which is part of my learning to live like a creative this year. Mm. So, yeah, uh, we love that's that growth. Story. You know, that comes, I think, over time. Mm. Some people are just blessed and they get it from a young age. And uh, those people I'm very jealous of. But... <laughs> 
I think you know those it just it's experience isn't it you you realize that what is the point of doing all that stuff if you're not going to be ultimately happy what is the point yeah. what, what you, otherwise you'll get to your eventual goal and you're just going to be miserable and then you'll be like what what did I do this for or not yeah. or you won't even realize that and then you'll be attaining for the next one and the next one the next one and that's never ending yeah it is never ending contentment is such a beautiful thing to learn actually because I've had to grapple with that this year. The the discomfort of contentment, being like I'm I'm earning way less, I go out way less, I'm not achieving in the way that I used to think was how I achieved and my mark of success. And I've had to learn to get maybe comfortable with that, that my whole definition of success has changed this year. And I've had a lot of people actually coming to me um, because I've always had a very quote unquote purpose driven career. I've always worked on social and environmental things, you know, sort of uncompromisingly. And I've had people from all walks of my life, past, present, um, come to me and be like, how do, how do I do what you do? How mm. do I have more purpose in what I do? So I think a lot of us are facing that, are experiencing that this year, right? Our, our definition of success and happiness has changed. Yeah, I mean, if if you were to say, you know, why is this happened? Why is why is COVID happened? That would be a good as re reason as any. Is it's forced people to pause and really reflect on what it is they're doing and why they're doing it, and mm. the direction of their life. Is it actually is it making them happy? Well, and there's productive discomfort, which kind of brings us into what discomfort has come up for you as a result of pursuing your dreams or passions? Was it uncomfortable to decide to become a comic? Did you have to fight off any parents who thought you were, oh my goodness, you know, doing something that would never earn you money? Or has there been discomfort in being a comedian, in pursuing your, your creativity as a, a career? Yeah, the whole thing is riddled with discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> it really is because, so, all right, you've got the one element of, uh imposter syndrome who who am i to, to to do this who am i to make people laugh am i funny enough uh there's people that are funnier than me you know i sh you know i don't deserve to be on stage you've got that sort of stuff and then it doesn't stop because inevitably when you then experiment with other artistic endeavors it's the same thing because you're a beginner again every time you're a beginner mm. like i'm not a director I'm not a proper writer. I didn't, I didn't go to, I didn't do a master's in writing. And, yeah. you know, again, when I was, a, every single time, there's always been those elements. So imposter syndrome would definitely be causes for mm -hmm. discomfort. Then there's like the whole learning how about the industry and how it works and the norms. And, you know, there's a whole way of communicating. Um, and then there's the business side of things as well. You know, the discomfort that comes with, not earning any money from it or well, say business say finance yeah not earning any money from it and and what effect or impact does that have on your self-esteem because i'm somebody yeah. if i'm not earning money that that does affect my self-esteem when i am earning good money you know i've got a little bit of a swagger in my step I'm not gonna lie you know <laughs> starting again you know that's always affected my bank balance because i've changed careers a few times mm. yeah then it goes back to the ego as well as you know like 
how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next stage? And, you know, grasping or craving for, for success. And then, then just the discomfort of putting something out on the internet and not getting any love for it, you know, or a <sighs> negative, negative comment on YouTube or someone glaring at you with their arms folded for the whole of your Edinburgh show or performing, doing an Edinburgh show and performing it to four people, one of them so drunk that they fall off their chair in the middle <laughs> of the gig. Uh, two of them are a couple and they start arguing in the middle of the show and then walk out and one person remains just because they feel so awkward about leaving and you end up performing an hour show to one person. Oh. That, that was um, an uncomfortable experience. Wow. Thanks. You really showed us your emotional underpants there, man. <laughs> Deeply appreciated discomfort. And, and also anybody, yeah, and anybody who's ever watched themselves back on film knows the discomfort of watching yourself on camera to critique yourself. That's probably not much fun either. It's allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you know, because it is a vulnerable thing when mm. you're putting yourself out there. Most comedians I have spoken to or interacted with they live for the laughs so how do you deal with that doing only online content right now if you're a comedian that's what you live for your drug is the laugh so you know that's there's nothing that beats that getting laughs on stage is you know it's a beautiful feeling and it's nice you know if you from the perspective of that you are making someone happy in that moment you know you are being of service to that person that's a nice feeling when i made my short film uh, that went viral and or if I've had sketches that have gone viral you get the comments underneath and that is intoxicating the combination of like getting the lol emojis but also <laughs> the views you know you see it like oh this is going viral that's um that's a good feeling mm, yeah <laughs> let's move into I think one of my favorite questions which is what keeps you uncomfortable I know you're a Buddhist I know you're a comedian I know you're a creative so what helps you to push the edges of your comfort zone so that you're constantly expanding and learning and gathering material? From, from a, a creative or career perspective, every new project is uncomfortable because you're starting again. And there's always a question at the beginning. Is this idea strong enough? Is it good enough? You know, is, is this funny enough? And, and what I was saying before, there's always that voice in my mind, you know, am I, am I good enough to be writing this? Should maybe I should give the idea to somebody else and they should write it. You know, there's all there's, there's you're questioning yourself. So it's like you were saying, you know, when you started your podcast, there's a discomfort that comes with that because you're a beginner again. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something quite, there's something quite comforting about being like in your lane, you know, doing what you're doing, being really good at it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So when you start again, that's that's a discomfort you know that's an uncomfortable experience it's full of discomfort mm -hmm. because you're yeah yeah it's you're you're new to it you've got to learn everything and and then you're putting that out so every time i do something new it's it's uncomfortable but it's also exciting if it wasn't exciting you wouldn't do it there's a lot of potential discomfort in what you do more than just yeah. having a job at a bank you know i don't know i like they've probably got their own levels of moral discomfort Depending on what they do, if they're an investment banker, actually, they're probably not. They're just kind of like, <laughs> oh, oh, you kidding. were trying to be nice to investment bankers, Steve. I don't yeah. think you need to do that. No offense to any investment bankers listening to this podcast. I would love it if there were investment bankers listening to this podcast, by the way. But yeah, what do you think people need to be uncomfortable about? I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's 
being uncomfortable with your with your views and beliefs and opinions i think that's really important right now to not be attached to your own beliefs and opinions and views and it goes both ways there's so much uh vitriol going on and i think it's like if we can just learn to be able to sit with different and opposing ideas and viewpoints and have conversations about them you might not come to an agreement but at least you've had a conversation as opposed to, as opposed to trying to shout the other person down and i'm saying this from experience you know i've i've had experiences where i've had arguments with with somebody because we are on very different ends of the political landscape and it ended is ended in a very nasty way and you know in hindsight i would have much rather of of dealt with that in a more mindful with a more mindful approach and so that's something that i try and mm. practice uh i'm i'm no guru that's for sure in in that respect but i think that is when it comes to practicing discomfort i think that's an important thing to try and do this is a theme that's actually come up with a lot of guests on here and i'm right. trying not to fall into the idea that this is necessarily a zeitgeist thing maybe it's just it probably is you know what i think it, it is a bit a bit it's probably a luxurious thing to be talking about you know yes there are a lot there's things going on in the world that are of far greater discomfort and so we're in a privileged position to be able to even talk about that but it is something that is obviously very timely and topical right now and <laughs> it, it is important yeah, and actually, I um, it is very important, topical, and personal because I come from a family of Trump voters, some of whom voted for Trump for the okay. first time this right. time, and grappling with the fact that I I literally just am so angry because these are the people I credit with giving me my values of living mm. for things bigger than myself, and I just don't understand how they can have voted for somebody who is dismantling systems that make society compassionate <laughs> that yeah. support people who are poor or disabled or different than them and yeah so i'm grappling with this right now because i've had a bit of dialogue but right now i've just stepped back because i don't have anything to say i don't have anything nice to say in particular mm. so i'm just keeping to myself but also holding the ground for my own values because i'm not going to play nice when i'm angry about something it's practice and it's as you're saying that's yeah. the practice of discomfort well and i think it also comes down to recognizing if people are interested in dialogue or not or if yes. they think that they have the answer and it's the moral high ground which is what i am dealing with here <laughs> there is no i don't think there's much potential for you're right and we're right so that's that's what you know i think a lot of people are probably grappling with in their own families i remember the christmas after brexit oh boy in the uk there were some difficult family christmases well any final thoughts to offer to our people here try new things new experiences and uh have a fun life steve whiteley comedian sage hopefully repeat guests Profit. on this podcast. <laughs> Profit. Ah, oh, Steve, thank you so much for your time. It was such thank a pleasure you. to have you on and your wisdom and your Buddhism and your laughter and all of the things. It thank was great you. talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. 
and head over to the Discomfort Practice Patreon page. For the cost of a cup of coffee once a month, you can become a contributor and help us to produce this podcast and reach new people with the idea that discomfort is just the edge of change, the edge of our superpowers, and the edge of changing the world for the better. Thanks to my wonderful team who helped me produce this podcast, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, Katrina Affleck for the original artwork, and to my co-producer Spencer Rausch. Let's all stay uncomfortable.